We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Twenty minutes a day. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year. This Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into this brand new edition of the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can always follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. New day and time for me this week. I am recording on Tuesday, and that is because I get to be joined by my very special guest. I guess he's not even a guest anymore since he's officially a member of the team, but I am joined today by Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Uh, you can find his work over at The Athletic, which is amazing every single week. I feel like I get smarter every time I have conversations with him uh, on these podcasts. So, uh, Ben, I am ready for you to enlighten me and our listeners today, and welcome back to the Pack a Day podcast. Well, I appreciate that we can lose the uh, the guest moniker. I feel like yes. I'm a I'm a recurring enough staple now. I appreciate that, but yeah, uh, a rare Monday uh, evening conversation with you. And the Packers are sitting here at ten and three. Another exciting win uh, on the road against a rather inferior opponent. This one not as smooth as the week before in Philadelphia, but a win is a win is a win, right? 
It really is. And I, I don't think you can ever apologize for those, especially, um, you know, when you go 10 and three on the season, clinch the NFC North, clinch a playoff berth, take the lead for the number one seed in the NFC. I think there's a lot of victories to celebrate there. I'm sure we'll get to all of that in just a moment. But before we even get to the game, Ben, can, what would you have done if I had told you at the time when the Packers hired Matt LaFleur that they would go 13 and three in his first season, go, you know, beat the Seahawks in the first round of the playoffs, go to the NFC championship game. And then the following season followed up with another 10 and three season and still to be continued, but a, all of a sudden another NFC North championship, another playoff berth. I mean, how impressed are you with Matt LaFleur? And did you expect anything near this in his first two seasons as a head coach? Well, I think uh, starting off hot as a young first-year head coach is crucial. Uh, I think it gives you, obviously, leeway to then make some mistakes down the road, but in, immediately instills confidence in the locker room, in the building, in the fan base, uh, to obviously start hot as you did in 2019. You go 13-3, and three, you go one game from the Super Bowl. Now everybody's a believer. And I feel like there might even be a little bit of self-belief with Matt LaFleur and could have been a little bit of self-doubt coming into being a head coach for the first time in your life as a fairly young person in football, you know, getting ready to coach a, uh, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history and Aaron Rodgers, a daunting task, particularly where the Packers had been the previous five years and not being particularly successful. I mean, we don't just change coaches too often up in Green Bay. So there's a lot of pressure coming in, in my opinion, uh, for a, uh, you know, an unproven head man. So it was great to see him start hot. And then this year, you just see the confidence and the full deployment of the offense. And now everybody is buying in and just really exciting to see the system working and that individuals don't have to be the heroes anymore. And that was always our frustration watching the Packers and week in and week out just seemed it was so tough to generate big plays and move the ball down the field. And you'd watch these other teams around the league generate easy offense. It's like, why can't that be us? And it's just really refreshing to see a scheme like Matt LaFleur's come in and really produce great results on a week to week basis. Yeah. I want to talk about that scheme in just a little bit. And uh, I mentioned this on Twitter, nobody's looking to trade in Matt LaFleur anytime soon, but two really interesting coaching candidates that they had in, in that interview process. One of course being Matt LaFleur, the other Brian Flores, the head coach of the Miami dolphins, who's doing really some heavy lifting down in Miami. Um, again, this is, this is not a, uh, anything against Matt LaFleur, but which of the two would you say has done better work in their first two years? I mean, obviously Matt LaFleur's had more success. There's no question there, but Brian, you know, Brian Flores hasn't had anywhere near the talent to work with that Matt LaFleur has, um, just kind of breaking down those two in their first, you know, two, you know, almost two seasons. Who do you, who do you give the nod to at this point? You know, that's a really good question to, to assess. And I feel like Matt LaFleur had to make some drastic changes with the, the longstanding Packers offense and the style and scheme. But Brian Flores was a complete rebuild project. So he had to come in and get the right people in the spots. He had to rebuild the scheme. He had to rebuild the culture. He really was kind of raising that from the ground floor. And there's still a work in progress. I mean, first year, didn't have his quarterback of the futures, the Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh Rosen show, and now into Tua and still trying to figure out who their cornerstone players are of the future. To say where the Dolphins were to where they are now, you may be able to say Brian Flores has done a better job at that reclamation project. Matt LaFleur came right in with an all-pro quarterback, all-pro left tackle, exciting running back, Devontae Adams. He had a lot of things working for him. Um, 
So that's an interesting conversation. You know, it's probably not an easy cut and dry black and white. <laughs> yes or no. Uh, there's a lot of different scenarios that each of those coaches walked into, but at the end of the day, Andy, I don't think the Packers or the Dolphins are, are looking back at all with any regret. No, certainly not. And it would be, it'd be an interesting juxtaposition if both ended in different spots. And if we could go back in time and see how that would work out, but we don't. So it's just fun conjecture on a random Monday conversation here, but let's get into uh, Sunday's game. And I just kind of want to get your initial takeaways. You mentioned that it was a little bit more difficult than that Philadelphia game. Uh, Detroit seemed to be playing a little bit more inspired football. They had to come back against the bears prior to their game against green Bay. And, and to be fair, this is a team that wasn't even technically, you know, eliminated from a, a playoff conversation going into this game. Uh, they were playing in Detroit, new head coach, a little bit more energy, uh, but what, what were your overall takeaways from this game? Yeah. You know, it's interesting game. And I feel like, uh, the game had a couple different tones and narratives through it. It seemed like they were in control for two quarters and suddenly you look up and the score was close. And that third quarter, once again, it's another game where the middle of the game just flew by for whatever reasons, whether it's quick play drives, long sustaining drives as they did. Uh, you know, each team only had one possession in the third quarter, a 14 play drive for 90 yards and Detroit goes three and out. Next thing you know, it went from halftime to the fourth quarter. I feel like there's been a couple games this year where the middle of the game, that second and third quarter, have just flown by. And before you know it, it's in the fourth quarter, and you're in a one-score game that you thought you were in control of. And that really is how Sunday felt, in my opinion, uh, that it seemed like the Packers were in control. And then you looked up and said, oh, shoot, we need to, this field goal right now, and we need to make a stop on the kickoff return. And some, some of these got-to-have-it type of plays that – the game didn't really feel like it was that close, but the scoreboard was a little bit uh, a different representative. And uh, at the end of the day, you can pick up a, a win on the road against a division opponent. They're rarely pretty. So if this is this is how it goes in Detroit, you know, uh, I think they'll they'll take the close win. Yeah, it felt like the narrative was very similar to a lot of games for the Packers this season where dominant offense, up and down defense that in the moment doesn't feel the best, but then when you go back and look at the box score, wasn't maybe quite as bad as you were expecting and kind of review the game. And then special teams has its own blend of you know weird moments, and um, but also Mason Crosby being great and not missing a kick all season long. Um, you know, there's also, it seems like there's one moment in every single one of these games where the Packers have a lead and the defense has an opportunity to get off the field. A couple weeks ago, it was a third down situation where Chandon Sullivan was uh, guarding the, the sidelines and he let his receiver, I want to say it was Anthony Miller, actually on an out, get to the outside of him. They convert on a third down. They score a touchdown on that drive. I think they scored on another drive after that. If they just get off the field on that third down, the Packers probably blow out the Bears and it's, it, you know, neither here nor there. They No one's counting style points here, but they probably get out of there relatively easy. Instead, there were some, you know, nervous moments at the end this week same thing they just go up 28 to 14 and there was the play to Marvin Jones with Kevin King draped all over him in a good way he wasn't it wasn't a penalty it was he was right there good coverage just a contested catch situation on third and nine Marvin Jones comes up with the catch moves the chains and uh, they go down and, and score. And, and that was, you know, they were right back in the ball game, one possession game. They've had some opportunities to just kind of get off the field and make it a, a quote unquote blowout opportunity. And they haven't been able to kind of seal things off. But again, to your point and my point from earlier, nobody's apologizing for a road division win against a, a team that's been a little bit more energized. Yeah. And a lot of these games are what I call slow burn games. There weren't a lot of big plays. I mean, outside Devante's 56 yard touchdown, there were no plays over 30 yards from either team. Wow. No turnovers. 
So it just didn't have those impactful moments of, you know, the flash play, the momentum swinger. The whole game just seemed like a grind, just a slow burn. The clock was constantly going, long drives by both teams throughout the game. We mentioned that long drive in the third quarter, but Detroit also had drives of 11 plays, touchdown, 11 plays, touchdown, 13 plays, touchdown, Packers, 12 plays, touchdown, 14 plays, touchdown, 12 plays, touchdown. And all those were you know, pedestrian gains in there to kind of move the ball down the field. So there weren't those real tide turning plays on defense or offense. And that really kind of made the game and the the tides of the game very vanilla and kept, you know, for lack of better words, both teams in it. Yeah, it did. And, and that's what kind of chewed up some of that clock and made the clock go so quick in the middle of the games. Well, let's start by kind of going over the offense in this game. And I want to get your your thoughts a little bit on scheme. I was actually talking to Aaron Nagler about this on Monday um, over on Cheesehead TV. And we were kind of going through and it didn't seem like Green Bay through, you know, too much unique stuff. They didn't, you know, nothing that they needed to pull out of the kitchen sink in this game. It felt like a fairly I don't know if vanilla is the right word, but they just kind of ran their offense and said, Hey, stop us. And for the most part, Detroit couldn't, did you see anything out of the ordinary from the offense in this game? Or was this just saying, Hey, we're going to run our stuff. And until you stop us, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. No, I completely agree. I thought it was kind of vanilla. And once you get into these, uh, there's a couple games where the Packers are playing with house money. I feel like they stole a couple games in the middle of the season. That once now you're getting into December and you clinch a playoff berth, Now, I didn't know if it was going to be the vanilla game plan. Let's work on the fundamentals, those real baseline foundational plays. Or do you start working the all the tendency breakers and all the new wrinkles for teams to now have to scout and consider for potential matchups in the playoffs? That's something Belichick was always known to do in December. It would be a complete Rolodex of offense and defense because he liked throwing off the tendencies and percentages of everything his team had done all season and now give your opponent something else to think about into the playoffs. But Matt LaFleur decided to dial it back and it was pretty basic, pretty one-on-one Matt LaFleur offense. And that's okay. Um, I think there's still foundational schemes to work on and try some different players in different areas. And it was great to see them working some new bodies, whether it's, you know, Dominic Daphne there at tight end, which even some 11 personnel, three receiver, one running back, one tight end. He was the lone tight end on the field, a guy that was just activated and is still kind of learning where to line up. So uh, while there wasn't so much creativity in the play calling, there is still things to work on, obviously. Speaking of which, how, where are you at with the Packers running game? I know some people are saying that they're concerned because the running game isn't maybe where they want it to be. The way that I look at it is the, the passing game has been successful and they've kind of gone back to that and maybe haven't tried to, you know, set the tone running the football quite as much just because they haven't necessarily needed to at the same token, when they have tried to run, it hasn't been the most successful. We haven't seen, you know, quite as many explosive plays from Aaron Jones. I guess they did have the 77 yarder a week ago, but um, do you think that this is a good spot where the, the running game is in right now, or do you have any concerns over it? Man, it's always a, what have you done for me lately league? Because <laughs> three weeks ago against Chicago, they ran 39 times for 182, yeah. 14 first downs. That was the most first downs and rushing attempts since the Dallas game in 2015, nearly five years. So they have been committing to the run and doing it pretty successfully. The 25 for 149 against the Eagles and another 31 carries for 120 yards. Yeah, off the heels of the previous two performances, 31 for 120, 
sounds a little pedestrian. It sounds a little broken. It sounds a little, eh, I think it died a little bit this week. What's going on? They still had 10 first downs rushing the ball. And I think they leaned on the run game when they needed to, particularly that drive in the third quarter, those second half drives with the lead. I love the fact they can lean on the run game late. They can establish it early and then work in all the variations, the play action, the moving pockets, the misdirections. I think the run game is fine. And it's all about Matt LaFleur still calling a balanced attack and making sure, you know what, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to drop back 40, 50 times for the Green Bay Packers to be a dominant offense. And I think that should excite Packer fans, you know, for the next three, four, five years to say, we have a superhero at quarterback but he's not always Superman. He could be Clark Kent and we could still win games. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I'm right there with you. And I think Aaron Jones was still over 4.5 yards per carry in this game um, came up big when they needed him. And I just feel like Matt LaFleur and the offense are going to attack what the defense is giving them. And Matt LaFleur mentioned at his press conference on Monday uh, that the, the lines were showing a little bit of, uh, you know, extra man in the box, trying to take away the run on some specific plays. So that's the case attack on the outside, keep going at Devonte Adams, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, et cetera, et cetera. And if that's, what's there attack it. And that's what they've been doing. So as you mentioned games against the Bears, and, and some other games this season when they needed to run the football, they've been able to do so for the most part. And, and I don't have any concern there either. Um, what were your thoughts? I, I mean, what else is there to say about, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams at this point? I think you make a great comparison to Clark Kent, Superman. He, uh, the, the blend of Aaron Rodgers just playing from the pocket and being himself and playing within the offense, but then making the spectacular plays when he needs to the third and 14 to MBS where he bought a little time and gets a 22 yard completion. Maybe not spectacular, but still a great play. Um, he's, he's blending both together. Maybe the best that he ever has in his career. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Term and conditions apply. It's tough, tough to argue that. And the interesting thing with Aaron Rodgers you know, I keep reflecting back to 2011 and his MVP season. This year, Andy, one game, week one, has he thrown over 30 completions. Hmm. And that was it. And then you go back to 2011, his MVP season, exactly one game where he threw over 30 completions again. And that was actually the last game of the season against the Detroit Lions. There's a lot of interesting parallels. And I think it's uh, even more interesting to go back to that MVP season to see the 51 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, and to see a lot of 17 for 32, 24 for 30, how efficient he was uh, back then. I think we're so used to the high volume passing, big numbers, 
uh, and the big plays in the past game. Just really interesting season for Aaron Rodgers and the the workload and how efficient he's been. There's a lot of uh, seemingly you know similarities between this Packers team and the 2011 Packers team, which hopefully doesn't remain the same because that season didn't exactly end the best. But uh, there does seem to be a lot of similarities between the two. Uh, going back to MBS for just a second, I, I thought this was maybe not his best game as a Packer, but arguably his most consistent game as a Packer. And you could probably even argue best game, but not he, he catches all six targets, six targets, six catches. But beyond that, one of them goes for a touchdown. The other five go for first downs. And he drew the holding penalty on the first drive of the third quarter to convert another uh, first down on a big third down play, which extended that drive and allowed them to go down and score a touchdown. That's, you know, quick math, a touchdown and six first downs on the game. That's a hell of a game by MBS. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact he did it without being a straight down the field, big play, shot play receiver. A lot of the stuff was an underneath stuff, some crossing routes, a nice little deep sit route on it's probably the best completion of the day where he showed some really good timing with Aaron Rodgers and caught that ball in traffic. At the end of the day, we're not asking him to make people miss or make that big play in the red zone. It's just do the little things, you know, catch the football. And, you know, it's it's these types of games that are the confidence builders. Now let's start stacking them and stacking them and stacking them. You had one good performance. Now we need two in a row, then three in a row. Clearly Aaron Rodgers still has the confidence in, in him. He's still willing to throw him the ball in some big, you know, moment situations like third and longs over the middle of the field, timing routes, anticipation routes. And he, he came up big. So whether it was the six for six, whether it was the big play on third down, whether it's drawing the penalty, these are all the things that he needs to start building off of this and now start stacking these performances. Everybody still believes in him in that locker room. He just yeah, can't, I think get, that's... He can't get down on himself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big thing too. I mean, it has to be a confidence booster when, you know, you've made some of the mistakes that he made and the entire, literally the entire locker room had his back uh, for a couple of days afterwards. He goes two games after that fumble without having a reception and only two targets still is having the playing time, just didn't get the targets come his way. And then is, you know, in that game where he gets six targets, makes the most of all of them. And I'm again, I'm right there with you. I think he needs to continue that moving forward, but hopefully this is the game that just kind of gets, you know, his head, right. The level of consistency that's needed and he can continue to do that going forward. And I love him. Um, You know, I think when he starts being the number one, number two receiver, he's maybe biting off a little bit more than he can chew at this point in his career. But when you slot him in kind of that number three type of role with Alan Lazard and Devontae Adams ahead of him, and all three of those guys are out there, that seems to be the sweet spot for MBS. And when everyone in that offense is kind of clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about those receivers too, because I know early in the off season, um, you know, one of the things that you questioned is did the Packers have enough at wide receiver uh, to be able to kind of make that next step in the offense. Um, They've been, you know, for the most part playing well, obviously Adams is playing at a ridiculously high level Lazard. We've seen good games from, he was out injured for a while, kind of in between then MBS has had the ups and downs EQ hasn't done much. And it really hasn't been anyone that stepped up outside of that group. Do you believe that the wide receivers have played as expected, better than expected? And if it has been better, is that just a function of the offense? You know, that's a good question. I think it's a lot of it's a product of the offense and uh, Matt LaFleur's ability to put guys in better positions to be successful through scheme, whether it's the motion aspects, the bunches, the stacks, the rub routes, just creating easier separation for receivers, easier throws for the quarterback, making a much more quarterback friendly offense. We're not asking these receivers to uncover and man coverage consistently. So the question is, 
have they exceeded my expectations? I've always thought Devontae Adams was a top 10 receiver. Beginning of the year, top five, and now he's looking like a top two, probably a top one, and I'm running <laughs> out of names to even put in contention with that. So he has absolutely blown me away uh, with his on-the-field play and literally doing it in every aspect of receiver play, <clears throat> excuse me, all over the formation, all over the defense, every level. Devontae Adams has really put himself into that elite receiver category without question. Now the other guys, I'm not sure if anybody has really exceeded my expectations or has blown me away. There's a couple of guys that have made some impressive plays on the ball at the catch point, particularly like Alan Lazard in that New Orleans game, that big play down the field. That one made me get up. I didn't expect him to make that grab. But nobody has blown me away with their route running or their yards after catch ability uh, in a vacuum. I think a lot of that stuff is products of LaFleur putting them in positions to be successful, whether it's on RPO concepts and playing off a leverage of a defender and giving them easy yak opportunities and creating easy offense. But crediting a play caller in a scheme seems like it always comes at the expense of crediting players. So while I want to credit the scheme, the scheme is taking the pressure off of the players and they don't have to work as hard. So while I like the players and they're executing, what we're asking them to do is not exceeding my expectations of their ability. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Okay. No, it definitely, definitely does make sense. I think for me, um, you know, Adams is Adams and he's at a ridiculous level right now, arguably again, to, to an extent that I don't know that anyone expected. Um, I think Al, the, the big thing for me is that when Alan Lazard's been out on the field, th- this isn't a situation where it was a one year Jarrett Boykin or Geronimo Allison season where they flashed and then kind of fizzled out immediately after and nothing became of their career. When I've seen Alan out on the field, you know, yes, he's a solid receiver. Is he ever going to be a pro bowl guy? Probably not, but he does all the little things, right? He's a good run blocker. He, he can almost be used as an age pack at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's going to get involved, do the small things and also come up with some big third down catches, make an explosive play here or there, like he did against new Orleans. And to me, that's, you know, you can label number two receiver in a lot of different ways, but if Adams is your one and MVS is your three is kind of a wild card. Like I'm okay with that being a kind of a consistent possession type receiver as the number two. So I think the big thing for me is that he's just shown a level of consistency and shown to me that he's not just this one year wonder that had a nice, you know, flash in the pan and then fizzled out. He's, he's a good number two guy. If maybe not ever a great number two guy. Yeah. I think Matt LaFleur having players that are well-rounded football players, the ones that can, excel in the run in the pass game that excuse me can make somebody miss that can you know get open and scramble drills that can maybe leak vertically off some play action concepts the more you can do in a b level rather than having just one trait in an a level is what gets you on the field in matt lafleur's offense we can scheme you open we can get you opportunities but we need you to wear a number of hats and be able to execute a number of roles and that's alan lazard to a t He's the number two receiver on this team, not because he's going to be second in yards, targets, catches, touchdowns, because he's the second best option to play receiver. And he's going to get the second most snaps because of all the different things he can do for the team. Oh, it's well said. 
Uh, let, let's jump over to the defensive side of the football. Um, I'm just going to let you rift here for a moment and, and go nuts and what you saw on the, on the tape breakdown. I know you broke down and maybe a little bit more pressure from Mike Pettin. Um, I know you broke down some Vernon Scott, which I'm really excited to do once I get access to the all 22. So what went well, what didn't, and what were your overall thoughts? Yeah. Pettin dialed up a lot of blitzes. My count was a 16 pressures, a season high. Uh, and Stafford handled most of them pretty well. He was 10 of 13 for 100 yards and a touchdown. A lot of nice screen plays off of pressure that were great calls. And Stafford's burnt Pettin's blitz several times in the past. It was Stafford and Russell Wilson in 2018. That seemed like they shredded Mike Pettin's blitz. And that these veteran quarterbacks typically know where to go with the ball against pressure. You don't want to blitz aging quarterbacks because they'll find that vulnerability and coverage. And I thought Stafford did. They did get through on a couple, like I had posted the one uh, zone pressure, getting Savage through on that classic kind of Jets Moses blitz is what we used to call it as they, as they part the seas for that blitzer coming in behind them. That was a really good scheme. I thought some guys won some one-on-ones in a nice fashion. Rashawn Gary uh, looked explosive before he got dinged up and went out in the second half. Vernon Scott, some more dime linebacker reps, trying to figure out who's going to take over that Raven Green role. But at the end of the day, Andy, you know, when you watch a game like this and it doesn't always feel great, you know, they're giving up yards or giving up long drives. They're giving up, you know, 20 plus points. And it's constantly a, I'm done with Pettin. I'm done with Pettin. We, this isn't a Super Bowl defense. They have to clean this up and that up. I don't know what the expectations are for defense in 2020. It's hard to play defense. And it doesn't always look great on Sundays. And I don't know who has a dominant defense in the NFL, (laughs) to be perfectly honest with you. And a lot of the defensive reflection is based on how many points you score on offense. And if teams are winning 45-38, who cares? You know, that's kind of the name of the game these days. End up with more points than the opponent. And it's not always going to look pretty on the defensive side. And that's kind of the nature nature of the NFL in 2020 right now. And I think the expectations on what you want this defense to be are just way too high on a week-to-week basis. What I recommend people doing is before the game starts, write down a number on a piece of paper of what you feel like would be a good day for that defense going into that game. Because if you would have asked me prior to this game, I would have said, you know what, if the Packers can hold the Lions to 20 points, that would be a really nice day defensively. They average a little bit over that. It's a game on the road, new play caller, new, you know, it's a little bit of a new scheme. He's going to dial up some stuff. I I would have said 20 points going into this game. And it was 24 points, I believe is what it was. And three of those were directly related to a special teams, uh, 70, you know, plus yard special team score, which means they gave up 21 points on defense and really give them credit for holding only to a field goal after they did give up a 70 plus yard return. So the defense allowed 21 points on a game where I would have said, if they allow 20, I think that's a pretty good output at the same token. I get the point where it doesn't feel great. the, The drives are taxing and long and you're giving up third downs and you're giving up long touchdown drives and Uh, There's plays like that. And then I can go right back on the opposite side and say, you know what, when the game was in the balance in the middle of the game, there were five Detroit lions drives only they scored one touchdown on those five drives, no points on the other four um, and and really kind of held tight in the middle of that game. I'll do a couple three and outs, got four sacks on the day. So like, I can go either way. It just, in, in the moment, it doesn't feel great. I, I don't feel great about the overall performance, but you can, I can talk myself into really either side of it. That's why I, I don't know where to go with it, to be honest. That's why I create a formula for myself. Okay. And not a mathematical, but a, 
what do I want them to be good in? I want them to lock down in the red zone. I want them to prevent the big plays. You know, I want them to have a couple impacts on the quarterback. You got to have a couple checklists on what you want because you can't just ask for the perfect game. So what do you want them to curb? And the same thing goes for schemes and coverages. And I would almost ask like before a play being very facetious, what would you want them to run here? (laughs) You want them to play press man? Great. Okay. Press man has pros and cons. If you get beat by one of the cons, you don't get to say, well, why didn't they play zone? Right. And the same thing goes for the zone coverage. It has pros and cons to it. You know, just because, oh, it's soft coverage. Why did they do that? It gave up a completion. Well, you're evaluating the results. And the process has pros and cons to it. They can play something else that also has vulnerabilities. So, you know, it's just, I I just feel like there's so much disgruntledness on a down-to-down basis watching the game on Sundays that the fans just want the perfect call, the perfect execution every play. And that's just not practical. And I I always try to be that kind of wet blanket to things. And I don't ride the wave when everyone's too high, bring them down a little bit. If they're too low, I try to bring them up, explain everything has pros and cons to it. And I don't mean to be like that. um, But I just try to give a fair assessment to things and not be so emotional and dramatic to what we're seeing. No, I'm on the same page with you. And I, I know it's difficult at times, uh, especially when you want to see, you know, your team do well, but uh, you don't get to play the New York Jets every week. And there's not going to be a lot of 42 to nothing victories uh, unless at least maybe get two games against the Jets and you're playing in the AFC East. Um, I want to ask you about two safeties really quick. Um, what's your thoughts on Darnell Savage's season at the whole? It seems like uh, there's, there seems to be differing ideas. I really like the way that he's playing personally. And then Vernon Scott, um, how, how do you feel like he did in a little bit of extended playing time? Personally, I'd like to see him in that Raven green role. I feel like he's the player that fits best in that position. And maybe I'm just saying that because I haven't seen enough of them. And I like the idea of it maybe more than uh, what we've seen out on the field. And just maybe some of the Barneses, the Burkses, the Martins, the Kirksey's and the Redmonds aren't ready. Or, you know, I know that maybe they're not ready in that. And maybe I'm just excited to see more Vernon Scott, but what are your thoughts on those two players? Yeah, it's always a cat and mouse with young players that you yeah. give them a manageable skill set. They do well. Well, what if we doubled that, you know, <laughs> that participation suddenly? Do you not get as good an effort or play or is there some sort of disconnect with the increased playtime? But I think he's warranted more snaps, more of a presence in the in the dime defense. He played a little bit more on the back end in Detroit in combination with that dime linebacker. He's a good looking kid. He's 6'2", 210. He played down in the box at TCU quite a bit as well. He's more than willing to stick his nose in the run. He's got those long arms in coverage. Let him go out there and play, you know, 50 snaps and see what happens, particularly in December, particularly with a couple games that you have house money. Let's see if we get some cobwebs out of the rookie and maybe you fall into a really good seventh round gem or he falls on his face and you realize he's not ready. But I'd rather find that in a meaningless week 16 game than, you know, in in the divisional round when it really counts. But Darnell Savage is an interesting one. Our expectations are high being a first round pick. He's given us some impact plays over the last month that really have kind of bought himself some time in the uh, in the aurora of public opinion, to say uh, the least. Uh, And those interceptions, the sacks, the splash plays in the backfield, we'll do that. And that's kind of the name of the game with safeties. You make enough impact plays, that's what we're asking for. Get the ball back, 
make the splash plays, make those tide turning plays, the momentum turning plays. I like the way they've used him more as a blitzer, more of a robber. And he's made a couple plays doing that. But when you actually watch him in his movements on a down to down basis, Andy, yep. he still does not look like in just a very general way to say it. He still does not look like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and that could be, him between the ears or being a little bit of a slow blinker. It could be the coaching. Um, I'm not really sure. I don't really know a whole lot about his mental makeup coming out of Maryland. Uh, but I know we're starting to use him in some more roles. Like he was at Maryland, really shooting down into low zones, disrupting the passing lane, less man coverage, less on the back end, less open field tackling. But when you just watch him and say, all right, he's on a robber roll here. He needs to go and break down from inbreaker two to inbreaker three to the backside inbreaker. And he looks unsure and his eyes are in the wrong place. And then he's, he's getting depth again back down the field. He looks like a player that doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing at times. But you make some impact plays, you buy yourself some time. And that's kind of how the, the safety position goes. There's a little, and, and this is going to sound scary to people, so I apologize in advance. There's a little bit of Josh Jones to it where it seems like when he's just being able to come up and make instinctual plays and play fast, he's playing very well. When he has to think through assignments and think what he needs to do, then you can run into trouble. I knew before you even said it, I knew exactly where you're talking about on some of those in-breaking robber routes where sometimes he's going with the first, uh, the first one and not coming back to the second one. And like you said, it's just, it's stuck in mud, almost just processing. And you just want to see it being a little bit more fluid. And when he's playing fast and when he's playing fluid is when he's kind of making his best plays. And when he has to think about things and process a little bit more, that's when some of the issues are coming in. You'd like to see him take a little bit better angles to the football at times. Um, and I, I, I legitimately do believe that this isn't going to be a same situation with Josh Jones, where Jones just didn't get it. I like his upside a lot. And I think the potential is there and I think he can honestly get over it. But to your point, you do see a lot of that out in the field, even if some of those splash plays are coming. And he is, it is amazing that Josh Jones is not in the NFL. He is. He's a Jaguar. On the practice squad, wherever he is. But the fact he's not a fixture of a defense, being a six-foot, 220-pound safety running 4-4, seemed like this guy was built in a lab for today's sub-package defenses. Second-round pick, high draft capital. There's a lot of reasons for success and failure in the NFL, and very rarely are they on-the-field problems. You don't always know what's going on between the years with some of these guys and their ability to be coachable, to be likable, to be locker room guys. Uh, And from what I've heard, Josh Jones was a little behind the curve with some of the uh, off the field stuff. I had a couple interesting uh, interactions with Josh Jones on Twitter. And one of them was just positive. Like I wrote an article saying that, um, I, you know, I felt like he should be playing in a little bit of a different way. And he reached, you know, you've reached out to me. He's like, that's a hundred percent the way that I want to be playing and things like that. And I'm like, um, first of all, trust your coaches before you trust me. <laughs> it was like, he was, it was like, he was saying like, that's what he wanted to be doing and not what his coaches were telling him to do. I'm, I'm like, sure he went to the meeting room the next day with your tweet. Yeah. With my, said, no, Andy Herman said, I should okay. be in the box here. Okay. But like, but even to me, I'm like, dude, don't listen to me. Like, listen to what your coaches are saying. But it was just interesting nonetheless. And then of course he like unfollowed me the next day or, you know, a couple, like a couple weeks later, cause I said something different and then it was all downhill from there. But, 
uh, neither, it, it was, it was interesting to say the least. So yes, we're on the same page there. Um, let's just, I, I want to ask you this, it, you know, I, I think I know the answer to this because you've been fairly consistent with your, um, you know what, it's hard to play defense. And if you can score more points, it's all good. But do you feel like this formula for green Bay is sustainable? It, it feels like they've got a super bowl caliber offense with, uh, maybe a, I don't know, maybe a seven and nine defense and special teams. Maybe that's a little harsh, but do you feel like that's sustainable uh, as we get into the playoffs? Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or an overbearing parent screaming words of wisdom from the stands, fewer than 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Whether it be 30 years of Hall of Fame QB play in Green Bay, or 30 years of quarterback torture in Chicago, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for watching football. I completely agree with how you formulated it and tweeted it last night. And... (laughs) You can say it. It's a it's an arms it's an arms race to the scoreboard for the Super Bowl, you know, and it's just score, 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 score. If you if you win the game 51-41, great. That's a Lombardi win in my book. And uh it's as sustainable a formula as much as the offense wants to sustain it for the defense. And if we could have some of those games where you maybe get, you know, the impact pick six or the big turnover deep in their own end, and you can give the offense maybe a short field and suddenly you get a flash of complimentative football for a half. Great. Then you can win a game 31, 13, you know, instead of 31, 23. And, um, but being complimentative is, is different than what it used to be. It's not in the same dominant sense. Complimentative football now is make a couple impact plays on the other side. And that's really all it is. And by a couple, I literally mean a couple prevent the big ones, prevent the, you know, the dum-dums over the head and then make three or four impact plays, whether it's a third down stop or a turnover. And that's the formula of NFL defenses in 2020. You know, they made the comment in the game yesterday, the the Packers defense, or maybe they said it was both, but it looked like a, a big 12 defense, but is the NFL turning into a big 12, you know, uh, conference period where it's it's just a ton of points and and maybe the defense isn't going to be there on a week to week basis. Like it maybe was in the past. It's funny you say that my buddy got home late last night from his game. He was uh, doing Miami, Kansas city. There's a lot of points in that one. Yep. And I almost said like, NFL defenses need to have a big seminar kumbaya in the off season and like refocus. How do we stop offenses in this day and age of football? Because we're having problems with personnel. We're having problems with injuries. We're having problem with tackling. We're having problem with penalties, the nature of the game and the rules aren't helping the defense. We have to almost like kind of clear the whiteboard and reassess <laughs> here. Like everybody, all 32 teams, coordinators, we have to figure this out. Um, but 2020 has been a really weird snapshot with all of that kind of coming to a head, whether it's pandemic, you know, related lack of practice time related, or whether that's all part of the equation, defenses are definitely not where they were, you know, even 10 years ago. 
you wonder if the, the lack of crowd noise does play some into that as well, where that does have some ability to affect the offense. Um, when you're the, you know, when you're the road team, it's going to affect you. And it just hasn't been the case for any team. Every team gets a, a silent count. Every team gets the benefit of that. And, and, and when more and more things are, you know, aiding the offense, yeah. yes, there's only so many things left for the defense to, to really lean on. And, yeah. and just noise was one of them. And that, you know, now you're in this library sterile atmosphere. Isn't it just one more way for the offenses to continually manipulate defenses? Very much so. So we can kind of, you know, cruise through these last ones relatively quick here, but I, I wanted to get your take on, you know, uh, my idea here was, you know, stock report, three players up, three players down. You can go in whatever direction you want here, but maybe a couple of players that you feel uh, are really trending in the right direction when you're kind of watching tape and maybe a couple that you feel are maybe trending in the opposite direction. Oh, that's a good question. Or you don't want to do any special teams woes of the week. You can do that too. Uh, we, we can get to that. <laughs> my too. my I mean, collective thought on the special teams real quick, because I know it's on the mind, a lot of Packers uh, fans with, you know, a couple of the bad returns uh, given up over the last month. When I watch Alabama over the weekend, you saw Devontae Smith had the punt return touchdown. He also is the punt gunner as a senior receiver. Well, you know who sprung one of the big blocks on that punt return touchdown? Patrick Starting Sertain. corner, Patrick Sertain. is going to be a top 10 pick. Their best players play special teams. And they're on a roster of 100 with five stars just licking their chops to get on the field and go lay somebody out on kickoff. Oh, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Devontae Smith, senior receiver, is going to go do that. Sometimes you got to look at the bodies out on special teams for the Packers. It's not always their best players, in my opinion. That's the opportunity for the new active guys to get out there. The Daphne's, the Juwan Winfrey's, uh, you know, the, the Nijamans of the world, all those backup linemen of the world, the backup linebackers. And certainly that's the place for a lot of them. Orrin Burks, Ty Summers, they're going to be the core special teams guy. Every team has that. But when you have all these young players, new parts in there, it just takes one guy to get out of his lane on a kickoff return or get pushed inside like uh, Kadar Holloman did on the punt return touchdown last week for Jalen Rieger. I want to see more of the cornerstone players out there and really embracing special teams. And that's typically a from the top bottom type of uh, philosophy in that when special teams starts to wane a little bit, it's a starters get in there, top guys get in there until we prove we can handle it. And then we'll start to work in some younger bodies. So the special teams have certainly been frustrating. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if in the playoffs, they would maybe consider going with more of their, you know, starting caliber players in those situations. Maybe they're just worried about injuries in season, but uh, I feel like if you're going to do it in the playoffs, you got to start getting those guys acclimated to it sooner rather than later. And it's a fine line, obviously, you know, would you rather Jair Alexander save his energy for defense and not, you know, running down being a, a punt jammer? Sure until the punt jammer, you know, gets pancaked and, you know, you give a big play, then it's like, oh, why don't we put our starting corner over there that could probably handle that role. So it's definitely a, every team does it differently. There's no right or wrong answer to it. But as I start to see problems, there's ways to fix it, in my opinion. All right, perfect. Well, now, now I'll let you have your take. Do you have a couple of players that you're, you're keeping an eye on, you know, trending right direction, trending wrong direction? Yeah, uh, you know, the right direction, I really thought Rashawn Gary was starting to play uh, better in 2020. I think it's starting to show up in the stat sheet. He's playing faster, a little more disciplined with some of his technique. Trending down is really the linebacker group collectively. Um, I think Christian Kirksey has been a little disappointing, in my opinion. Uh, just doesn't seem to be making a lot of impact plays. Seems to not really anticipate a lot of action, particularly in the pass game. 
always seems just a little bit lost with action coming at him. Seems like he's not, not very reactive, uh, kind of staying on the hips of some slots and running backs and tight ends over the middle of the field. Um, you know, trending up, I, I really love the, uh, the running back group, Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones. I like that they've really kind of rotated them through this year. They all seem fresh every time they get the ball. And I know Aaron Jones had 19 touchdowns last year and all these yards. I'm okay with cutting his workload and keeping him fresher and getting better production when he does touch the ball. And I really think that's been a conscious play of Matt LaFleur through 2020 and making sure he's fresh and making sure everybody gets touches back there. And I'd like to see AJ Dillon maybe get a little bit more action back there as he's now healthy and off the, uh, the uh, COVID list. Um, trying to think of some other uh, trending down names. Did you have any off the top of your head there? Andy? I do. What are your, what are your thoughts on how Chandon Sullivan's playing? Chandon Sullivan ever since that pick six in week two or week one, uh, seems like his play has really been up and down as well. Yeah. Uh, that's probably a position that will be in the conversation to upgrade in the off season, or at least get some competition in there. I think he's a guy that's reliable, but definitely leaves a little bit to be desired in my opinion. Yeah. You know, I really liked what Shannon Sullivan did a season ago. And then, you know, being at training camp practice, you could tell he was confident. He was motivated. He was playing fast. It looked like he, um, he knew the system in and out. I was really excited about it. And he comes, he has the pick six again, like you said, week one or week two, I forget what it was. And I thought he came out strong again. And then over the course of the last month, maybe month and a half, it seems like teams have figured out how to target him a little bit more using some more double moves using, you know, Channon's a guy who, who can, he has good ball skills and pretty good instincts, but he doesn't have the fleetest of feet and uh, can get beat on some of that stuff. And it just seems like teams are starting to target him a little bit more. And to go what you said earlier with the, the, the play of the inside linebacker, the, the thing that really is concerning for me right now in, in any phase is really the middle of that Packers defense. Whether you look at the slot corners, I guess the, the slot corners and inside linebackers, nickel guys, things like that, that, that middle area of the field in the passing situations, that's, that's where my concern is. Is whether it's with Chandon Sullivan, whether it's with those linebackers playing, I just feel like you're starting to see teams figure out mismatches for the inside of the field. And when you get to the playoffs and Sean McVay and Sean Payton are waiting for you, they're going to feast uh, on guys like Christian Kirksey and just some of those matchups, whether it's Chris Barnes, whether it's Kamal Martin, whether it's Shannon Sullivan, they're going to find ways to get those guys on an island, beat them in man-to-man coverage, or even you know find spots in those zones. And that, that's really my biggest concern in an area that I feel is trending down right now. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And it seems like that's been an area of concern the past couple of years, you know, right down the pipe of that defense, the linebacking core, the safety's ability to cover. Um, I think if there are one more uh, trending down, it's probably going to be Lucas Patrick, okay. uh, who, you know, the I'm not sure if there's been an answer about John Runyon Jr. and his involvement the past two weeks. I know he was maybe in line to start against the Eagles, has not played uh, or did not start uh, last week or this week. Lucas Patrick, they moved from right guard to left guard. Certainly a spot that can be upgraded. Uh, it seems like a lot of the pressures and issues in the run game kind of uh, fixate around that left guard spot. Now, would you say that was uh, the same when he was at right guard, or would you say that that's something that started happening the last two weeks when he moved to left guard? Because I feel, I haven't watched it this week, but I feel like when he was at right guard, he was more consistent than when he moved to left guard last week. And then, of course, he had the holding penalty this week. I think he allowed a pressure at left guard last week. I feel like he hasn't been the same at left guard. Yeah, Javon Hargrave whooped him last week on a one-on-one yeah. pass rush. But, yeah, it seemed like he was much more steady at right guard, Yep, which – 
means you had the incumbent starter at center and left guard and left sure. tackle. Uh, so obviously you remove one piece, you're typically not as strong. Uh, so certainly moving guys around and, you know, calling up Rick Wagner off the bench has uh, set back the old line just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, it's still, you know, it, it's nice to see the depth that the offense has still been able to click and mostly run what they want to run without having to spend a ton of, you know, put people there to chip and add extra blockers for the most part um, and still run their offense. There's a lot of bust. There's a lot of busted run schemes as well. Yeah. But because of the moving parts and the motion and the eye candy and forcing defenders to think, not everybody is blocked. And like, you know, the big play against the Eagles. Not everybody was blocked and the, the 70 yard or whatever with Bakhtiari running down the field. <laughs> we didn't block the middle linebacker. Um, but, you know, you have enough motion and eye candy and running backs that can make people miss. It doesn't always have to be perfect. And I think that's a really exciting proposition. Uh, anytime you have a running back where the picture doesn't have to be perfect for you, you to have a big play. Yeah, Aaron Jones is certainly that. All right, a couple of quick ones. What do you make of, of Robert Tunyon's season so far? Do you think he's a legit tight end one, or is he another player that is a, um, a benefit of Matt LaFleur's offense? And then there kind of comes this interesting point this offseason where he's a restricted free agent. You can't really put a, a non-tender or an original round tender on him because he was an undrafted guy, which means some team would come after him, which means then you have to put either a second round tender or a first round tender on him. Uh, because, uh, you know, otherwise there's a legit chance that you could lose him. D does Green Bay need to put a first round tender on Robert Tunyon to keep him? Or are you comfortable with that second rounder? You know, that's a really, really good question. I know. I thought so too. <laughs> Devontae Adams should dominate a lot of the resources uh, as far as the offensive skill players. We're going to have to figure out a way to pay Aaron Jones. Might even take some contract restructuring from the quarterback, maybe even the left tackles, you know, record deal uh, last month. I don't see how Robert Tunyon could be tendered a first round or even given any sort of um, too lucrative of a contract uh, with all the other players you have to pay. I think he is still a little bit of a product of the offense. He has gotten himself open. He's made some big catches, made a couple people miss in the open field. He's blown me away with his development from big receiver in the move tight end. But again, Matt LaFleur's offense is predicated on having that true Y tight end, that true inline guy, that seemingly boring extra tackle. And I never thought Robert Tunyon was a candidate or a down the road candidate for that role. He's just not big enough. And you really need a 255, maybe 260, you know, 70% playtime tight end to come take that role. So I like Robert Tunyon as the move tight end. I don't think he'll ever be the true Y number one tight end on the team. And then it's just the question of how do you keep him around and for what price and somebody's going to look at him and, and overvalue him around the NFL. How much does he want to stay in green Bay? And, um, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not really sure, uh, where to put him as far as price tag and, uh, how the rest of the league would view a Robert Tunyon. Yeah. My guess is he gets a second round tender. And if some team says we're, we're going to sign him to an offer sheet, Green Bay is say, okay, fine. We'll take the second rounder and we'll develop Jace would be my guess. Um, but and now if you're asking me to keep, like right now, if you just said like it's either Jace or Tunyon, it's like uh, a Tunyon can drive Jace to the airport. Like, <laughs> yes, 
Yeah, yes. like it's sunny, it's sunny and it's not even close. I agree there. I, I always have to ask you at least one draft question before we get out of here. And my one's pretty simple. You mentioned him earlier this uh, episode already, but just how good is Devonte Smith? I know he's not going to probably test through the roof, but he is magnificent <laughs> out on the field and I love watching him play football. Yes, but he's very, very unique because he's six foot, 175 pounds, and he's not a true vertical over the top guy. And anybody in that size and mold over the last 10, 20 years have all been the speedster down the field guys, whether it's, you know, Deshaun Jackson's or KJ Hamler's, you know, in last year's draft and uh, John Brown's of the world and Travis Benjamin's and Hollywood Brown's and anybody in that 175 mold is a four, three over the top guy. Yep. Well, Devonte Smith ran a timed four, five, two forty over the summer which some people may say, whoa, really? You think he's at least a 4-4 receiver on the field, which I feel like his playtime is faster, but he's not a burner. So we're looking at a frail frame guy, six foot, 175, that runs in the mid four fives. It's a very unique skill set. So he looks like Terry McLaurin for the Washington football team, uh, but Terry McLaurin ran 4-3. <laughs> so where do we go here? Is he Marvin Harrison? being that small kind of possession receiver. Is he Robert Brooks, who was six foot 175, ran 464 out of South Carolina. Keenan McCardell was 175 pounds, ran 456. There's a couple old school names you have to go to. Sean Jefferson, 5'11", 180, ran 453. Now, a lot of these guys are the technician types, which is Devontae Smith. Everything is violently snapped everything is stomped every step in the route is stomped every break is snapped everything is sudden everything is explosive plays so tough so much bigger at the catch point gets into yak mode immediately strong hands and then all the stuff away from the ball the blocking for the other receivers the punt gunning you just this is a guy you want in your locker room but the caveat is he is in a very unique package for success at the nfl there's no way he gets out of the first round, right? There is zero way he gets out of the first round. But where does he go in the pecking order of explosive Jalen Waddle and prolific Jamar Chase and a guy like Rashad Bateman that people are banging the table saying this is the next Devante, you know, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen type of route runner. Rondell Moore is a guy I mocked to the Packers at the end of round one on the Journey to the Draft podcast last week. He's 5'9", 180, and ran an official 4.33 in high school and led the country in yards after catch two years ago when he was healthy. This is the perfect type of replacement for Tyler Irvin, in my opinion. So there's a lot of these gadget types too. Kadarius Tony is you know, in first-round conversation. I don't know where to put Devonta Smith. If you're just going to put him outside the numbers at the next level and say go win, he's going to struggle. And so a lot of the usage and where you envision him at the next level, if he's just a slot receiver, just a possession slot receiver, is that warranting of a first round pick? And if so, where in the first round? Um, So it's a a really interesting conversation because of the size and the lack of case study uh, for this type of body. So you don't feel like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here. You don't feel like he can line up on the outside and win with his route running ability. 
I just get concerned at six foot 175 against big press corners in the NFL. Like I'm already angry at the way the Eagles are using Jalen Rieger. I don't want this guy to ever line up outside the numbers. You're doing him no favors. Make him the possession guy with the middle of the field. Get him the easy offense. Get the ball into his hands. Um, don't make him have to get open and man coverage all the time. This is what they do at Tavon Austin when he went to the Rams out of West Virginia, being a 4-3 receiver. 5'9", 180, go line up outside the numbers, and we throw verticals with this little dot down the field all the time. <laughs> um, I just didn't feel like it was a great way to use him. So Devante, I think the use of the next level is going to be really interesting in that is he just a slot receiver? Can he do some of these gadget roles? But he has just such a, a thin, light frame. It's just very concerning to see. How good would a uh, Devante squared offense be in Green Bay? That's the real question. It's a whole uh, lot of, that's a whole lot of Devantes, but uh, Devante Adams, Devante Smith would be more than, uh, more than dangerous on paper. Might as well go get Devante Freeman too and make it a trio. There you go. Triple Devantes. I like it. <laughs> Bring back Devante Mays, the old uh, running back for the uh, Utah State, too. right? <laughs> All right, Ben, this is great stuff. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, not particularly. I think it's been a really exciting 2020. I'm really excited to see how this season finishes for uh, for the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. And I hope to see a couple more game managing performances from number 12. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Well, it might be a couple of weeks uh, or maybe even more before we talk again. So if I don't talk to you before then, I'm sure I may talk to you on Twitter and whatnot. But uh, enjoy your holiday season. Appreciate you coming on. I won't call you a guest anymore. I apologize for that. That's my bad, but uh, I appreciate you as always. And uh, you know, everyone who's listening, you can check out Ben on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. You can check out his work over at the athletic and I uh, appreciate your time as always today, Ben. Thanks for having me on Andy. You bet. All right. That does it for us today. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL and the podcast at Packaday podcast. If you haven't checked out the new YouTube series, I launch a new one every single morning at 7am. It's about a 10 to 12 minute video uh, breaking down everything Packers. You'll love the heck out of it if you're enjoying this. So make sure to check that out as well. That does it for us until next time. And as always go pack, go. is finally over football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you could get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day Head to bet online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook 
experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.